0: There's one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. Where? When? 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 What are we waiting for? Take this!
1: <laughs>
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 84. My guest today is the one and only Carl LeBove, one of the original outlaws of comedy originating in Houston, and he's here for us right now. How you doing, buddy? Uh, Good.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me on. I
2: couldn't figure out anything I wanted to do from 11 or so. perfect. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I met Carl in Vegas uh, a few weeks ago, and I'd always heard... You know, you're one of those comics that if someone says Carl LeBove isn't funny, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> you know, you're just one of those guys that I never hear anything um, but great things about your stand-up, and I watched some of it today, and uh, and you're just you're just one of those guys. You're just, uh, you're great at what you do. How long have you been doing it now?
0: Uh, this is my 40th year. Wow. So, I'm... Um... Turning sixty-one in July, so um, I've always looked at it like music. Uh, been a guitar player since I was ten,
1: and to me, just you know, writing stuff and performing stuff that's kind of timeless. Allows me to you know keep growing all the time, instead yeah. of being stuff uh, in a specific style. I just I leave myself open. That way, it's always engaging for me. You know.
2: Yeah. Um, where sorry, go ahead. No, that was just a bounce part. I'm good. okay. Um, yeah, you, you people are sure aging different these days because uh, you look great for 61. I would never think, I would never think that, uh, unless I only reason I know is because I know how long you've been doing comedy and I know you've been around forever, but um, so when you started, what year was that? Was that like 1980 79? So, uh you were there for the comedy boom of the eighties. What was that like? Yeah.
1: Well there was two booms. One was the boom for me personally as, you know, a, a a guy who was kind of looking for a direction. I started as an actor first when I was seventeen. Uh which was a flu in itself. I was just kind of a, a mediocre high school job, thinking about a you know, a small college to go to and continue playing football and baseball with a bunch of friends. In uh, the, I'm from Lompoc. Uh My dad was in the Air Force, so Vandenberg Air Force Base was where I got to go to school all the way through high school. And after school, I had some great teachers, you know, that saw something in me, and they kind of talked me into a, a play after school. I did a city, a play for the city, and um, which I was never interested in. Right. And uh, but just looking at. You know, a script for the first time and memorizing a script and working with other actors for three months uh, in my hometown. It was a really great adventure and uh, that led to people, uh, you know, opening doors for me and pushing me to go to L.A. to pursue acting, which I did. So I think I learned from that experience that if there's something that you want to do if you start the process.
0: Um, and you're open to it, then other doors open. So it just led me into, uh, three years of
1: acting classes and, uh, and movies as uh, an extra and seeing big actors do their thing and being around it. And, uh, it, it was strange dues, you know, uh, and, I, I was pushed by my teacher to try stand up and, uh, and I really fell in love with it. So I ended up moving to Texas to help my dad start a business, and there I found the comedy club in Houston. Uh, through my dad's urging, you know, he's like, try it, just to try it. So by doing that, I met, you know, Kenison Hicks, uh, Riley Barber, um, Steve Epstein, uh, just a number of guys uh, Seen the group, uh, guys that we all became friends and supported each other. So it was a very nurturing adventure to step in the stand up with 12 other comedians before the boom so there was each city was starting to have like a club yeah so you weren't working the road you were just you know i get to perform six nights a week and it just led to confidence. and uh you know took me years to find my own personal style but the fact that i got to perform
2: every night was just such a great experience so, so you you started you went to L.A. and and did acting for three years, and then moved moved to Texas, and that's where you started stand up. Yes. Okay. And and who were the original outlaws of of comedy of of the Houston? Well, uh, yeah, I'm from Houston. Uh, well, that was named after we left.
1: So uh, you know, like I said, the, the guys that I hung out with were were. All local guys. Uh, Steve Epstein was the Ronald McDonald of Houston, so he used to travel around to the McDonald's and dress up as Ronald McDonald. <laughs> and so he did stand up at night. Uh, there was some, there was guys that did uh, you know radio. Uh, there was guys doing business, uh, and everybody came and tried it for the first time. So nobody was really anybody. We just all kind of developed the muscle and found the love of up in that first year that I was there. And then I guess they left. So there was no outlaws at that time. They were named later, so that was Bill Hicks and his crew of guys, which were you know, all guys that I knew. Um, but you know, they went on to do their own thing, and then, of course, Sam and I moved to LA after the first year and paid our dues there and did something else. So all of that was named later. You know, it was created later because of the footprint that we left and the footprint that those guys
2: there in Houston. Yeah, I uh, I was in college when I first listened to Bill Hicks, and he is the reason I became a stand-up. I was going to be a teacher and a wrestling okay. coach. He was going to be I was going to be a teacher and a wrestling coach, and didn't know what else to do. And, you know, I just kept telling people that's what I was going to do, but I knew that I wasn't really going to do it. I just didn't know what the hell else to do. And I listened to a Bill Hicks CD, and uh, I changed my major the very next day. I went to my counselor and was okay. like. I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a comedian. She was like, what? And I'm like, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. But I, I know what I want to do. And, and I, I thought to myself, at the time, I had never heard of Bill Hicks. And I was like, that's the funniest guy I've ever heard, and I've never heard of him. So I can do this. Yeah. Even if I don't get famous, I could do this for a living, and that sounds pretty freaking cool. And for the first time in my life, I was excited about it. So w- when I found out... Um, in, in Vegas when I was talking to you for, for a few minutes that you came up with Hicks, uh, I was just it, it almost makes me nervous to talk to you because it's like I'm uh, talking to somebody that knew him really well and uh, you know I wish I wish that I uh, could have met him and I was just curious what what he was like as a person. Well, you know, uh, he was 16 or 17 and then, so he was still in high school wow and so at, at this club that I was working at you know we uh, we get to perform like I said it to 80 people and uh, it was called the Comedy Workshop and it was just a very small club and uh, so we had the the opportunity to you know try to pack it out on weekends so everybody worked on each other being better each night you know we would support each other we'd go out like to eat but Bill was one of those guys that had to be on like ten. it would today. <laughs> so a lot of us took turns driving him home to his house,
0: which is 10 minutes away, and then coming back to the club for the next sort of the night. You know, he just had to be home by 10. Yeah.
1: I, I had my own thing, but you know I, I led into acting first, and my strength was teamwork. I could create a, I could create a story, you know. And his was creating
0: a great story and a, and, and jokes too, his style, you know. Yeah. Um, and other guys had their magic.
1: They were just great writers. Some guys went toward the political angle, Some guys, uh, you know, went to the absurd. So everybody had. You're watching each other develop a great style. So that was what was interesting about the beginning days.
2: Yeah, I, I loved some of his stories about eating mushrooms. Did you ever eat mushrooms with Bill Hicks?
1: No. Uh, my my experimentation started in Houston. I mean, in LA, about a year and a half later. So okay. I did, I did mushrooms. You know, I did after one in Houston, but I got tricked into doing it. So... I didn't know that it was, you know, the drug that it was. I was told it was something else. And by the time I went on stage, I, the lights were changing and, and uh, I did a very odd set. And the
2: following week, I went to work at the club and people lined up going, there's that guy I telling you about. He, he's so so different. <laughs> and they were coming to see me again because, you know, I was so off-kilter that, the weekend before. Macy's for clothes and the mannequins think they're cooler than everyone else (laughs) they have the choice of the best clothes so I basically did a conversation from the mind point of a mannequin yeah and they love that yeah
1: they love it so experimentation you know trying to loosen up the mind trying to get rid of fear trying to all those things in the beginning were were great eventually leads to of mm-hmm. uh, drinking before you perform uh, mushrooms was my thing of choice for about two years mm-hmm. 81 to 83 mushrooms was something I it, it was a big deal for a lot of actors and comics to kind of stay for the weekend not eat for two days and then take a nine hour walk and find yourself that way Yeah. And that's how
2: Did, um, so you, you performed um, on a fairly regular basis uh, on Mushrooms in the beginning?
1: No, not too much performing, though. I saved
2: it was when I wasn't performing. Okay. So-
1: forty minutes on it on stage because it takes me places. I can go into the day, and I can go into my experiences, and I can talk about the heat. I can talk about you know the ex girlfriend. I can I can
0: see it differently now because I opened myself up when I was younger. Okay. So it, it, it was a good thing for me, and I did get stuck in. It, and I didn't. I lost friends to drugs. You know what I mean? I lost guys just became crazy and. And couldn't come back. Uh, I felt that uh, in the 80s. It was such a big deal. So I didn't want to get lost in it. I just wanted to experiment in it and see what I could find. So it opened me up, is what it really did. It
1: opened me up. I wasn't as closed as it was, you know, in my big 20s.
2: When, when did so you. I guess
0: it was a good thing, yeah.
2: I'm sorry I I was just when have you always been able to do that like how long did it take you before you were able to just tell a story for 40 minutes that you'd never told before and it be and it go well on stage because yeah
1: well you know and I learned it's like anything it's confident and a lot of us you know stop ourselves from taking the chance especially when you've got a solid act yeah and you get married to that act because you're you're in a place of like, oh, finally I'm not bombing, or finally I'm not unsure about this set. This set has now proven itself all over the country, and it works. And so, you'll find a lot of people get married to that material because finally you're on dry land. Mm-hmm. You know, are not plumbing through your act, you're not stuck out on the barge from there, you're, you're not left on the rock. You know, you're you actually know how to uh, one, two, three, kick it in the ass and then get that big big good night. And I it's like everybody else did, when I finally developed that, about, you know, seven years, eight years into my standard of experience, I started getting to that place where I, I was solid at all the time. So maybe, you know, around 40-ish, you know, late 30s, early 40s, I I decided to take risks every night and I started making plans for myself and writing down goals with my stand up so that when I traveled on the road, I wasn't doing the same thing every night. Mm-hmm. So I started leaving, I started doing like my dozer uh, in the opening and then leaving myself 20 minutes space to fill in before I got back. So I had a, be- a beginning and an end, but I had left myself 20 minutes for the middle. And that was where I'd already worn them over. And then the exercise was, to, what can I talk about that's inside me, that connects with these people, and then ties in to my ending. So I would do that constantly switching around my beginnings and my endings, leaving myself room for a lot of improv
0: so that I could just talk about was on my mind. So that process started around 40. So I still find stuff
1: now that I love, you know, by...
2: Training myself to do those exercises and not getting married to anything for a very long period of time. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. It's it's very easy to get stuck in that. You know, you, you go to a new place; they've never seen this before. They don't know. You know, um, and, and and like you said, you get it down, and and it's like having a weapon up there. You know, when you've got a good act, um, you can always. You can always go back to it, but what I've been trying to do lately, and and it's it's kind of nerve wracking. But um, like the other night, I went up to the store and I had no, I had no plan. And you know, I can do an hour on my head without thinking about it if I just do my act. But doing fifteen without without knowing where I was going or what I was going to say next or any of that, it was it was uh, it still is. It's nerve wracking. Do you did did it make you nervous to do that? Absolutely. That's what I loved about it. Mm-hmm. I Sure, I love that it
1: made me nervous because I had been, you know, training myself to be totally confident because I knew exactly where I was going. I knew that the stuff worked, and I knew I was going to get the reactions that I was, you know, that I'd written the material for. Right, and then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, my friend Dan Gabriel said the thing that bookers know about us is that we try just as hard if we're getting paid fifty bucks or a thousand bucks. <laughs> that's right. You know? That's we, right. we don't we don't really you know, it's it, sure the money is, you know, I mean especially if you do it for a living, that's important, but the main thing is the show, you know, and like I'm sure you've had shows where you're getting paid good, but you didn't enjoy the show, and you're and it's not satisfying, you know. It's 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 more satisfying sometimes to do a shitty bar gig and kill and do new things and and what I've found is that sometimes you'll you'll I've I've had jokes where where I thought I wrote a new joke because it killed so hard in the moment, but it didn't sustain like. I was I did a speaking of Texas, I was in Dallas, and I did, I did this gay bar. This guy asked me to come do a contest at a gay bar. I had a night off. I was in between uh, improvs, and uh, it was a, like a Wednesday night, and he had me come in and, and I was talking to this this big group of gay guys, and I go, "You know, I just don't understand why people would think God made you this way, but then he's going to punish you for it." And then I go, "Well." They also say serial killers are born that way, so who knows? Maybe you will all burn in hell. And they thought that was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. I mean, they laughed so long for so hard, it it made me uncomfortable. Like, uh, I got to their shit, guys. And then I went to the improv the next night, and I couldn't wait to do that line, because I thought it was going to (laughs) kill. Man, you could have heard a... And it was going really well, and I dropped that line, and you could have heard a pin drop. It was so, like... And that's where I learned, like, yeah, eh, some things are just funny in the moment, and that's it, you know? And in front of Crowd and, you know, you did what, what I love to do, is, is you set it up with the truth. It was from you, it was a truthful thing to say, why would God punish you for being something
0: that he made you to be, you know? Right. And you, you hooked them right in. And then it's the twist, your own personal twist that comes after that, you know? And yeah. And seeing yourself, and, and, and that's what we strive for. Yeah, I was at a friend's house the other night and this just
1: happened I was at a friend's house the uh, night before last a little barbecue and he's got two big bars dogs and this is not a joke yet this is just something that happened so it's something like
2: made my stomach cramp up a little bit <laughs> oh, that's fucking funny um <laughs> for some reason that a line that bill hicks did about uh he was in new york or something and he goes he's with some lady and and she goes don't give them don't give homeless people money they're just going to use it for drugs and he goes yeah drugs are pretty important to a drug addict <laughs> That guy was so yeah. there was there was nobody in my mind that was better at talking about controversial like topics like the Kennedy assassination and all that shit than than Bill Hicks. I mean some of the stuff that he was able to make funny um and, and i I get glimpses of it sometimes like i'll I'll try to talk about stuff like that that really bothers me like nine eleven or something like that, and sometimes it'll do really well, and then the very next night it'll just eat it and I'm like God, how did he do that you know like
1: well, I mean, you know how he did it, because he went out and he bombed. He bombed all the time, too. You mm-hmm. know, like he developed his, his calling, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some, you know, you got to realize if he was one comic as a, as a young guy, he was teens, and then he had some failures, you know, he had his publishing track, he was 18 or 19, he got a TV show in LA, and he was out there. And that didn't last, and then he had some failure. Then he went back home and, you know, uh, to Houston and uh, his friends will tell you, you know, he just got to this point where he just didn't care and he actually started extending the drugs and, and you know, trying things out to find that voice. He didn't know that it was gonna become iconic. He didn't know
0: that he's gonna be remembered for this. He didn't develop his plan. His plan was to grow. And, you know, there's many, many great stories that I don't know about that I've heard you know, through the
1: road and other guys that you knew him and hung out with him a lot as an adult. You know, his late 20s and 30s were, you know, his just, just power time. He just kind of found himself. And um, and then those statements come out of his experiences, but he ate it so many times. That's what people don't realize in order to be, you know, uh, great at this, you've got to take chances and you've got to risk it all. And, and like you said, one night that material killed and he went to a a club in a different setting, a politically blessed setting, and they weren't open to it. They mm-hmm. shut you down. But the point is, you gotta believe in your material no matter what, and the material keeps growing until you learn how to communicate it and all settings. Y- and y- it's basically them watching you. When you get to that point where they just watch like you, you can talk
0: about anything. Yeah. You can take them on. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's failure. Failure has to be your friend. Yeah.
1: not
2: afraid to fail yeah because the failure you're fine so stuff yeah well that that uh, first thing you'll find is you never want to fail again <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, because, you know that's survival that's survival element of it e- eating it sometimes can be uh, have you ever just eaten it so hard you find it hard to breathe <laughs>
1: gotta, right, I've got to do it this way. It's the only way that's going to make me happy. I don't want to be cookie cutter. I don't want to be a cheerleader. I don't want to you do know, the style that you decide you don't want to be. Yeah. And th- once you see that, you go, oh, I've got a lot of work to do because in order to get to where I want to go,
0: I've got to kind of change my, my look. I've got to change my material. I've got to change my attitude. And you develop armor, you know, personal armor that you start to walk up with so that you're not affected by
1: the booze, the naysayers. The and in that, you kind of start to find goals. And whether it's one thing a night, you know, a year from now, it's a completely different set. You're a completely different person. You've morphed into something else. And, and I
2: think saving the art, you have to continually recreate yourself. And the you only can do that is by taking the chances. Right.
1: And, and failing, you know.
2: Do you, do you write on a regular basis, or is a lot of what you do you write on stage? Uh, I I don't write as much as people
1: think I do, because I see in I can see, I can experience something, and then I see myself performing it, and it's almost like I listen to it. Mm-hmm. And then once I listen to it, then it's kind of ingrained, and then I, I can work it out somewhere, or I just bring it up on stage. And it doesn't go good the first night or the second night, But then all of a sudden, from doing it out loud two or three times, uh, I can grasp it. And yeah. once I grasp it, then I, I, then I
2: write in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I find the best stuff that I do is usually it just comes out of my mouth and then I just keep saying it that way.
0: <laughs> right.
2: You know, um... Yeah. Because I, I try to sit down and just like write stuff and sometimes it goes okay but for the most part it's I find it very difficult that that the stuff that I actually sit down and write very rarely makes it into my act. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well, it's a brain exercise too. Yeah. I write down topics sometimes. Yeah. You know, something always occur to me and I'll write down, well there's a topic I've never talked about and I'll write it down. And then I find it funny within the mo- next month or so, I'll experience some life where that topic is a part of it, because I, I think I've conjured it. I, I, I've written it down, this is something I want to learn about, and then I'll experience it. Yeah. So that's another thing. I think there's a power to that, to writing things down and, uh, and, and being you know, motivated to go in that direction. Yeah. And then you kind of create
1: a doorway that they can get
2: up to, you. and you get to experience something like that. Yeah. Um What uh What were those early days at the comedy store like when you first moved out there?
1: Well, there was no sunlight
2: back there. Jesus had just died, and a lot of us. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Who had just died? I'm sorry. I just, I just Jesus. Oh. Just passed away. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, uh, I
1: think what was great about it again was the camaraderie to have, you know, 10 or 12 other guys.
2: Sounds like you had a great dad, that's an awesome thing to tell your son.
1: Yeah, yeah, is your... funny? He had every comedy album that ever came out, he was by it. So I was surrounded by music and comedy every night. Wow, that's great! But from the age of five on, I remember mean, that's my memory. He sitting in his lap listening to you know, the newest music, uh, and
2: comedy album. Yeah, and he had parties at the house all the time. And it
1: was the dirty albums at night when us kids had to go to bed. Mm-hmm. I would sneak in the hallway and listen
2: yeah. to uh, you know what was dirty considered dirty back then. Yeah, that's awesome. I j- I have a uh, eight he's just about to turn eight months old little boy and, uh, um, and I'll I'll always uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm just going to try to encourage him no matter what he wants to do. I'm not going to try to put any you know I, I wrestled my whole life and and there's a lot of good things about that sport, and I, I hope he wants to do it, but I'm certainly not going to make him. You know, it's not, uh, it's not for everyone, and, and, you know, I don't want my dreams to be his dreams and all that stuff. You know, I want him to... So, that's, that's really cool that you had that kind of dad. Um, what, uh, what was Mitzi Shore like? Uh, Mitzi Shore was the first time I
1: met somebody who was... She had a big vision of stand-up. And she ran the comedy store in LA. And when I got out there, uh, she liked me and she gave me a job as a doorman. So to me, I look at her like the university president. And I was, you know, I,
0: she let me in to a college that I got to watch the best professors every month. Yeah. So
1: for four, four years, I was a doormat at the store. So I just saw the greatest moments in stand up comedy. I saw, you know, Rob Williams, Richard Pryor. And all the guys that came out of, of the store, uh, that you, you saw a different trick every night. You saw a different style uh, from some of the greats, and you learned. And it just it was organic. It just that footage in your system like a download. And then years later, when you're working, you know that wow, I just used the trick that I saw someone else use, but you did it your way. You did steal the mm-hmm. you. it was in you that you saw how to get out of trouble uh, early on by some other great act. And you did it organically. You did it your way. And so it was like being taught by teachers or professors. And then it finally came to fruition down the road to you. Because you're supposed
2: you know. And how, do you, how do you get past, and how, how would you advise someone who, like, you know, like, I'm not famous. I mean, I headline all over the country, but I'm not famous. So some of, these, some of these clubs I headline, you know, especially when it's the first time, you know, I want to experiment, and I want to, you know, try new things and all that, and then, but I also want to come back.
1: <laughs> well, no, you, you, your job is to come back. Uh, it's a room, so your job is to, is to be undeniable. So if that takes the perfect set every night, then don't do that. And then, when you start coming back to the town, then the audience has to know you, the club owners know you and trust you, and you know you're, you've got a steady gig there at least once or twice a year. But then that's when you open it up. But yeah. get the job first. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like I did a bunch of Tonight Shows in the 90s, and it was, you know, it was such a great learning experience because once, once they wanted you back,
2: that's when you extend it, you nailed
1: every
2: time you went on to get the job. Yeah. So Mitzi. I'm comfortable in a room. M- Mitzi, I was. I, I'm. A lot of people say this, but I'm pretty sure I was one of the last people she passed um, because she wasn't even doing. Okay. She wasn't even doing it. Um, she wasn't even at. at she wasn't at the club when she passed me. I did. I did like a three minute set and people had told me the only reason I wasn't that nervous is people told me oh you never get passed on the first try and so don't be nervous and I was like oh okay and then I had a really good three minute set and she passed me she's like he's got something yeah. and her saying he's got something still gives me confidence you know when I feel less than confident or you know I've, I've always struggled with a little bit of nerves and all that when I was a kid up until high school I would get sick like the first week of school every year just like like I was going to the death chamber. It was just fucking school, <laughs> you know? Um, so the fact that I do this for a living and still, I still struggle with it sometimes, especially if I go down to the store. I mean, it always, there'll be times before I go on stage where I'm like, man, I don't, I don't even know if I can go up there. And then as soon as they say my name, it all goes away, usually. But occasionally there'll be that ice ball in my chest that won't go away and... Those are miserable Freaking sets Even if I pull it off And I They don't know No one knows that What's going on Inside of me Or whatever um, So that, that's kind of What I think I'm addicted to also Is that you never Really have this shit Figured out Completely You
1: don't know the outcome That's right Yeah That's, that's why you
2: liked it You don't know the outcome And,
1: and as a wrestler uh, You know You know That you're going out uh, In front of uh, You know This audience And take championship and you don't
0: know anything about doing your wrestling again. Right. You didn't get any information. You don't know the style. You don't know, you know, if he's an attacker or if he's a defensive guy.
1: You don't know the style. So yeah. that's the audience. Yeah. So all you can do is train for it. Train your best to do escapes and shoots and go for the leg and you know, all this stuff that you learn communically and you've gotta feel it out in the moment. And make you look great at watching and, uh, and kicking me out, making me wrong, uh, making me want to fight for her approval. Uh, think that I, you know, that she made me work harder than anybody, not because she took the time to do it. It's just, she would have kicked me out for month. She would not approve of my set. It took me, you know, three years to be a regular there after four years, mm-hmm. uh, and because I had to fight for, it. but boy, when you finally got it, you know that's that's that level of confidence that you earn something.
0: Yeah. You are
1: finally getting approval from a, a father or a mother or whatever that is that that you kind of felt that you uh, that would help you move on to the next stage of confidence. Which is all this shit is. It's just being confident, mm-hmm. but you got to live. You know, you got to give the ten thousand hours to it to even get to
2: that place. you have to experience so many things. Yeah, I've, i strong. I've, I've, I've told people several times throughout my career, I was like, it's it's one thing to say I don't give a shit what they think. And it's a completely yeah, different thing to genuinely that. not care what they think. And that's right. And that's the point where I, I you know, I, I strive to get to all the time. Because for the most part, I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, but, um, I want to be that way all the time, I mean, that's what I loved about about hicks and 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 Sam Kennison, for that matter, when I, the first time I saw him do that five minutes on h b o you know I was raised Southern Baptist and all that stuff and him talking about Jesus getting nailed to the cross and all that. I knew as an eleven year old that I wasn't supposed to be laughing at that shit, but I couldn't help it. It was so funny
0: yeah.
2: um yeah. you know and, and that's hicks and and Kennison kind of planted that that uh, Kennison planted the seed when I first saw it. Like, man, that was, you know. But then I heard that he, yeah, it, it planted a seed that I was gonna do this, and that's why when I was in Vegas a few weeks ago, and I was in the green room, and you were in there, and Andrew Dice Clay was in the room, and it was kind of a little party. In my head, I was like, this is sur- this is a surreal moment to me. Like that, I'm talking to Carl Above and Bill and Dan and uh, Andrew Dice Clay is right freaking there. Um, you know th- those moments to me are are, are very cool. Uh, I got high on a on a rooftop one time with Emo Phillips, and he was on that HBO special. And I remember telling him, I was like, "This is so weird for me that I'm smoking pot with you on a roof," and he was just like, "Yes, that's interesting." <laughs> He's uh. I think that I think
0: that's really
1: cool. Is like yourself. I met my heroes when I got into stand up. But you know when you're younger and you're influenced by something and you go, God, just to hang with these guys or to be uh, accepted like they are or to be in that same circle and all that stuff. Don't you think it's interesting that you put your mind there and then years later you're in these rooms and you're getting high with and you're carrying conversations with these people that meant so much to you. Mm-hmm. And then then it becomes normal, it becomes your friends. Uh, your work is recognized, uh, so forth. I just think it's important that people that aren't comedians that listen to your show or people that are comedians that listen to your show that are just starting out. And the, the important part of all these stories is that you gotta, you got to see it. you got to want it in your head. You've got to write it down on paper. You've got to practice it. You've got to do the work. But you'll find that you get so caught up in that, years will pass, and next thing you know, you're hanging out with the people that are the reasons why you're doing it. You get to meet all these people. And I think it's because you're creative in your head. Just as you create a standing ovation type of show, just as you create that baldy guy who says that the way it is. It's whatever you want. But it's getting to that place where you've got to be so comfortable and know what it is you're going for that then these kind of things can open up to you. You know, I've got, I'm in my hero. And most of them have been phenomenal people. And they've seen you do your thing. And you're accepted. And you're loved. And you're liked by them. And you can't believe it. Yeah. But you're living it. Yeah. Uh, So that's. It's important to think it. It's important to dream it. Uh, You know, put your daydreams. But don't. Keep daydreaming those things. Keep creating those things in your mind. Yeah. And
2: the next thing you know, you're living them. Yeah. I have.
1: about business,
2: you know? Yeah, yeah. I've found that that when I don't focus on the result so much as just the process, things tend to happen. Yeah. Like even if it's even if it's just doing something positive, like cleaning out my garage, you know. Like to, yeah. I'll come in and there'll be an email from a Booker that I haven't heard from in two years. You know, just just yeah. doing something positive. Um Getting yeah. I, I quit doing my podcast for a, a little while and. And since I've gotten back into it, um, just all kinds of things. And I'm, you know, completely sober. And, and uh, there's, just, there's just so much to draw from if, if you allow yourself to. Um, we're, it, we're already 45 minutes into it, and I, I haven't asked anything about uh, Sam Kennison. What kind of person was he? Um, but, you yeah, know, it's fine that it's been 45 minutes and we don't have to talk about it. Because all you're doing is rolling. You know, you're just rolling
1: conversation. Yeah. Uh, I've had to talk about Sam, my whole career, because my friend became very famous. Yeah. So the bottom line to that conversation is, is he buddied up. He was uh, five, six years older than I was. Uh, I was raised in the same types of churches as he was. Uh, I saw him turn into the guy that became famous, and then I also saw him get lost in drugs and alcohol and power. So, you know, there's been some horrible things that happened after he died that I found out about his behavior and things that he did. He hurt a lot of people. But I've grown into, looking back at it, I lost a friend to drugs
0: and alcohol. Yeah. So, you know, I, I let all that go. Good. Uh, he, but, but I saw a guy, and I
1: was around a guy, and I helped create a lot of those things that I'm talking about right now, which is, um, you have to envision that. You have to believe that more than anybody. Just believe me, no one thought Sam would ever make it. But Sam and I thought he was going to be huge. As friends, we would sit there and write this material. We would realize what the response was going to be. We realized he would be controversial, and he accepted that. And there was a big price to pay, you know? Uh, for, for those decisions for him, mm-hmm. uh, you have to know what's inside you and what you can handle. And Sam was accepting a lot of the response that he got. He was not accepting uh, uh, the money that came out of nowhere, you know, once it hit uh, and how he handled it. Everybody has their own demons. You don't know. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, a 30 ish guy. He was overweight and mm-hmm. really had no success with women. And all the shit he could have anyone you he wanted, you could spend the money where you wanted to attract anybody that you wanted to hang on and I saw him get lost and all that. He didn't have a chance to recover from that. Yeah. Like a lot of us do. We've all been down a road where we get lost because it was alcohol, sex addiction, whatever the not you go through, everybody a different story. But yeah. getting through that that locks you into the next part of your life. So Cam actually was a great lesson for me in life you know to be careful of to be mindful to watch uh, I love people people have opened many doors for me I've always been lucky my dad my dad passed the personality trait on to me and I want to use it in a really good way I want to help people with it he's yeah. uh, talking to me this morning of course I'm not on I'm not, I don't have the comedy. Button on, and I'm not trying to be a certain kind of thing. I'm just really relaxed. I'm recovering from a car accident. I was in a car that was total, I was a passenger. Uh, I just got done with physical therapy. I have to keep a diary of my pain levels. I have some internal damage that I'm still uh, letting heal, uh, and it's been some four or five months now. So I had to learn to keep my. Daylight. I have to learn to keep it down a little bit so I can save it for the show because I'm hurt. I'm physically yeah. hurt right now. And I get tired easily because of the internal
0: damage. Mm-hmm.
1: So so resisting yourself in all situations and learn how to possibly heal myself through the, uh, my walking in the morning and visualizing the things that I want to accomplish next. I want my 60s to be really fun, you yeah. know? Uh, at this point, you kind of know you only have maybe 20, 30 years left, maybe if you're lucky, as long as they are healthy. If so you're not healthy, then you're not that lucky. But yeah. this thing has scares me, this car accident scared me, because I saw what physical pain can be like uh, on a long-term situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your bones are not, you they're brittle. you you know, your muscles don't recover
0: quickly. You know, all kinds of things happen at different ages. So, I think it's probably a new goal set in for me. Uh, this horrible situation I'm growing through right now, but at the same time, it's kind of changing. Mm-hmm. I find myself more positive. I find myself sharing positive thoughts. Uh, and that's just who I am right now. It's just where I'm, where I'm at. Good. You know, I've also learned the power of a map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: After you're like 45 or 50, you
2: need to think of that. And then you go, wow, 20 minutes just changed my day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've i found that power naps are uh, very important. And if I'm tired enough, uh, you know, I, 20, 25 minutes is all I need. And if I sleep more than that, it kind of screws me. Like, ah, shit. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it's almost like you shouldn't have taken a nap at all. Um, right. I, I read or, or heard a podcast or something about about when Sam passed away about what it did to you as far as you said something about um, you were more scared of living than dying and didn't realize it does that ring a bell do you know uh, what I'm talking about yeah one of the uh, one of the things that
1: came into my mind a while after you died is that you know I carried a lot of fear in my life and didn't realize it and I held myself back because my friend was famous so I was always, you know, writing for him, or, or uh, you know, we had rules when we went on the road performed. I couldn't do anything that was current because he may be doing something current that night, and of course, you know, five thousand people are there to see him, not me. So I had to, you know, hold back. And after he died, I saw someone. You know, again, I saw someone die in my life. I've had many deaths in my life, but to be there. to see that you kind of have this realization or I hope you do that you get one one shot at this and if you spend a lot of time with these small fears that grow and become a part of the way you think then you're never going to get to live
0: out those dreams that you had when you were young it's a one shot deal and so I think that's really what the change goes for me after you talk is that uh, I can't be afraid to live I can't be afraid of success or anything
1: yeah success so of waking up and going for a
0: walk at yeah. 5 o'clock in the morning and you don't want
1: to go but on that walk you create a thought or a debt or something that you have to do you go oh wow thank you universe for that
0: great idea you know what I mean yeah so, you're always trying to transform yourself and you can't do it if you're afraid to do it That's really
1: what I learned. so that helped me become curious
2: yeah i uh I, I had something in my mind I wanted to say and I can't remember what the heck it was now but um yeah I find that i have I, I have fears like that that I don't even really realize and, and this is what I was gonna say that that uh I feel like if if I am not where I want to be professionally or personally or anything it's because i don't I, I i have to i have to tell myself you know because that I haven't I haven't done everything I can. I have. I can with the abilities I've been given, and when I do, then I'll be rewarded for it. But until then, it's not going to happen unless you do it. And sometimes I, you know, I, I get as bitter and angry about this shit as anybody else. Sometimes, but then I have to tell myself, like, well, what are you doing to fix it? Ain't nobody going to come and knock on your door and be like, hey, we heard you're great. That's not how it works. <laughs> You know, and I don't know if I care about being famous anyway. I just want to, I just, I just know that I'm not using all the abilities I've been given. And, and, and I want to get to that point. Well,
1: you know, from this class, uh, something that just pops in my mind when you brought that up, is that everyone who looks at some styles, like anyone be obsessed with, oh wow, you're on TV all the time, and you have all this money and stuff like that. And I think through my life experience, and now, again, through another experience, which was with the car accident, success is stuff. And to get up and go for a walk for an hour in Vegas at 5 o'clock in the morning, what do you feel when you come back home, you're like, wow, I just did that. You know, I couldn't do it for the last four months, and I did it. It's mm-hmm. a step, success, you know, that, that feeling of success with conquering something, that one be a very negative sinner because I've been waking up writing down how much I hurt, how many times I woke up during the night.
0: Sure. Yeah, listen. Success is different levels. You know, it's not money and it's not, oh wow, I can't be king of the world. Because you're not. Yeah. You want to be successful to yourself. What makes you proud? You know, a lot of times success is paying your rent that month as a comic. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I don't know how I told it off but I
1: saved my rent. Yeah. And then the next month you got three gigs and then success is buying yourself, you know, a bike so you can start exercising. So you pay yourself
2: give
1: yourself a nice gift
2: for all the hard work, you know, uh, those kind of things, yeah. it's slowly, you know, what a success to you. Yeah, yeah, my uh, my, my son makes me feel successful when I, just, just when I, I look at him and he, he looks a lot like me and, and, you know, I've, like a lot of comics probably, I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself from childhood stuff and all kinds of crap, but um Sure. I'm pretty hard on myself. But when I look at him, I'm like, Well, there's something good about you because look at that boy. I mean, he's beautiful and he smiles yeah. all the time and he laughs and I'm the only person that really makes him laugh and uh, it, it almost makes me choke up thinking about it, you know? <laughs> sure. I mean I, I love that little boy so much. Yeah. Which is how you see it sometimes forget it as an adult. Yeah. And Clark, if you look at a child that's years like this, I mean that was a minute of the hardest work he probably ever did to be that boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was conceived during the Olympics, so I don't know if that if that uh if that's gonna help him out or not, but <laughs> <laughs> it was the winter Olympics, so uh yeah, I I'm pretty sure yeah, everybody was trapped in the today. Yeah. <laughs> What, uh, what, what, what are you doing uh, now in Vegas? So you're living there full-time, right? Yeah, I moved here a year and a half ago from Los Angeles, and I really like Vegas. Uh, I, I like the locals. I like the people. Uh, I'm a golf fanatic, and so I live five
1: minutes away from my favorite golf course. So uh, I just started playing golf again uh, after the injury, after I was well enough to start playing. for about a month now. Um, uh, I have now, I have two shows. I've had an show twice now. Uh, one at Valley. So that was my show six nights a week for an hour and a half. And then I just ended my run at the Tropicana. Where I was there for almost seven months. And I had the weekend uh, uh, midnight show. So it was my show on the weekend. So that just ended. And now I'm uh, I'm trying to look into how who I'm going to be met. Yeah. And how I want to approach
0: stand up and these other
1: projects that I'm not
2: ready to talk about yet. So if I could get these things into fruition, then I'd change again. Yeah. And work into somebody else. Yeah. Well, it's been really uh, cool to talk to you and and inspiring because, you know, I'm, uh, without getting all into it, I'm, you know, going through something personally myself just as far as, like, stand-up and, like, I haven't, I mean, I've had good shows lately because I have a good act and everything, but I, I haven't, Enjoyed it as much as I used to. Um, it's like I don't I don't know if it's the crowds or if it's me or if I'm tired of my stuff or, or I get frustrated by the new stuff that I try to do, not always getting what I want it to. But and crowds seem kind of tighter these days. But uh, you know, I th- I think I just need to, to go back to the beginning in a way. You know, to, to the part that I loved about it. Well, I'll
1: tell you about I'll, I'll tell you my key when I perform. I'm not sure if it's you this would be thing when I go on stage and I've got my own personal life in my mind and I've got my own personal pain going on from my accident, whatever it is, I get there and I speak to the person. I get a feel for the audience so there's about five minutes for a song.
0: And then the one thing is I look back and go, this isn't about me. This is for them. Yeah. They just saved money and said basically, can you please take me away from what I'm living right now? Yeah. I want to laugh. And then that
1: whole worrying about yourself or thinking about the material all that stuff goes away and you have a goal the goal is to take them away and give
2: them a show that they're not accepted and then that drives you and inspires you yeah it's about them yeah in that moment yeah Yeah, it's it's easy to to forget that sometimes but every now and again someone reminds me you know they'll come up and tell me that uh, somebody died, or they had this happen, or that, and they really needed to laugh, and 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 all of those things, and and it, it reminds you that oh yeah, this isn't, you know. I, I had the best compliment I ever got, or one of the best compliments, was this old man came up to me after a show, and it was this Sunday show, and it was just a normal, average Sunday show. It wasn't great or anything, and uh, and this old man came up to me, and he goes, "You're the best stand-up comedian I've ever seen," and I go am I the first? <laughs> and he goes, no. He goes, no, but you're the best. And and that's when I realized, like, if you just do what you do, even if you're not killing, there are always going to be people who appreciate it and realize it. And, that's right. And some of those shows where you don't get the biggest laughs and you don't feel great afterwards, that's when you get the nicest compliments. And then sometimes you destroy and people just stream out like you've got a catchable disease and they just can't get away from you quick enough. And I've talked to a lot of comics that they're like, yeah, that happens all the time. I'll sell merchandise after a show that I thought was shit, and people come up and say the nicest things, and I'll kill and not sell anything, and no one says a word to me. And (laughs) You know? So I try to just remind myself of that and to to just keep doing what you do the way you do it, and they'll get on board, and they'll see it if you're scared, too. So don't let that shit happen. business with cash and
0: you can make 80% of that crowd laugh and lose it that's successful yeah. you
1: know what I mean can you imagine yeah you know what I mean yeah it's hard to connect with 100% of everyone in your crowd yeah well, all the averages
0: aren't
1: just the poor you do, do the you... connection between a human being with a, a funny thought about something that really happened and everyone gets it
2: that's why we do this
0: you
2: know, yeah. the goals that we chase yeah well uh, i won't keep you all day i know you've got a lot of stuff uh, going on and you need to get your nap and everything but uh i've i've yeah. i can't tell you how much i've enjoyed talking to you and uh what a what a great comedian you are and what a nice person you are that which is even I more I appreciate it's even more important to me than you know, I've met really f- people that I admired and thought were funny and all that, and then they were kind of dicks, and I'm like, eh, fuck that guy. You know, uh, <laughs> it's it's more important to me that, you know, just, you know, you're just a cool dude, and I really, really appreciate you being on here. Hey, I
1: appreciate
2: it. As long as the check is in there, like you promised, But no problem. I already sent it, dude. Okay. It's coming. Then it was my pleasure. Uh, <laughs> is there, is there... <laughs> Is there uh, any place you, Anything you want to plug Or any any place People can find you Or uh, They can find me
1: On Facebook Or Instagram
2: Okay And it's L-A-B-O-V-E Carl yeah. Lebove. Cool oh With a no. Correct Cool Oh am I, Have I been saying it wrong This whole time Is it LeBove? LeBove. Oh lebove Okay So I was saying uh, it right French. So, so above With a no in front of Oh Okay, I got you. Well, uh, cool, man. Uh, thank you so much, and I hope you, uh, I hope you feel better soon. And and uh, I will. And and I, am not a religious person, but I do pray, and uh, I'll and my wife and I say a prayer every night before dinner, and uh, and we'll include you in there, and uh, we hope your pain gets better, and and things, you know. I believe in everything that people believe in. So yeah. Thank you. I accept yeah. It. Cool. All right, man. We'll uh, we'll definitely be praying for you and uh, hoping everything goes well for you. And I look forward to seeing you again. And uh, hopefully, I'll get to maybe open for you someday or something. Who knows?
1: You got it. The same you never sure. know. You never know.
2: Yeah. All right, brother. Well, thank you very much, Carl. And uh, have a great day. And I'll talk to you soon. You too. All right, buddy. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye, bye. Well, fuck, man, that was great. Uh, That guy, (laughs) I talked to him a little bit in Vegas, and I could just tell that he was a very genuine, cool person, and uh, what a great story, and what a great career, and what a a, uh, phenomenal comic, and and I really enjoyed the hell out of that, and and I needed it. I'll be honest with you guys. I needed that conversation, and I didn't realize how much I needed it. Um, so anyway, I uh, really appreciate you guys listening um, Little Bo Macon, that kid that I'm always talking about com. He had his 53rd surgery this morning 53 surgeries I think he's like 10 years old He's had 53 freaking surgeries So we've all got our shit And we've all got our, uh, you know Life ain't easy and, <laughs> but, but we probably got it better than most if you really think about it. So, uh, I'm going to try to po- focus on the positive stuff and all the great things in my life. Go to making it happen.com and, uh, help out little Bo making donate to uh, his family. M-A-C-A-N it com. little Bo Macon. Um, my website is timgathercomedy.com com. follow all my social media links and all that stuff. They're all on there. timgathercomedy.com Um, yeah, I think that's about it. So thank you guys so much for listening and sharing and subscribing. And uh, my YouTube is Tim Gaither, com slash Tim Gaither. And, uh, yeah, God bless all of you. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye.